This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. It's a classic example of a veteran championship team like Tampa Bay manipulating the officials and taking advantage of a situation, right? I mean, they know we're basically already going on the power play because of the Kucherov situation, so it's a free-for-all. They can do whatever they want, and, and they just know the way the games get called. They're not going to get another penalty. I mean, you watch that sequence back. I mean, to say that we shouldn't be on a 5-on-3 is, I mean, credit to Tampa for recognizing that situation. It's, it's a free pass. You do what you want, and not only do they get out of it unscathed, but they take Matthews and O'Reilly with them to the box. Brilliant play by the Lightning there in manipulating that situation. Manipulated the referees. Right, I'm not sure what that means. When that hit happened, I think everybody watching at home and everybody in the building thought, including us, thought we were going on a power play. And so our two best power play players, I don't think they would ever sit there and take themselves off a power play unless they thought something unjust happened. So I don't, I'm not sure that us taking, Austin Matthews doesn't kill penalties. So I, I don't know how that actually worked against us, to be honest. Now we ended up being shorthanded after that, but I don't think anybody thought that was going to happen at the time. So I don't know, that one's a little different for me. <laughs> That's a little different for me. <laughs> I, you know, I'm hearing Sheldon keep talking about it. I'm thinking, bro, just stop talking. I, I don't, I don't think it's it's helping your cause in that case. It, it just helped his cause it in the Toronto right. media and in Toronto. Well, I think the Leaf followers Dave, loved what he had to say. Greg, Dave, Toronto, Toronto media, come on. We, we were talking about after game one, they were they were willing to jump off bridges and you know, everybody <laughs> was fired and you know, game two, everybody's fine and it just. It, 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 what the Toronto media says and what other media says, I think, is drastically different in how they perceive that potential news, whatever they are interpreting. Regardless, uh, the Lightning partner find themselves in a situation where they need to win tonight. There's no doubt about it in my mind, and we'll talk about it for the next hour as we get you set for game four. Of course, he is Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli. Steve Versnick's our producer. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio if you'd like to. You don't like to say things are must-win games, I think especially for a team like Tampa Bay partner because you feel pretty good about their backs are against the wall. It's a team that can dig deep and do a lot of good things when that happens. But I think you do take a look at the law of averages and say, Well, going down 3-1, statistically speaking, just isn't beneficial to anybody. And I think the Lightning, if they were in that position, or if somebody somebody else was in that position taking on Tampa Bay, I think we would be saying the same thing as well. And I think what's most disappointing in some ways is the fact that I think we all agreed in Game 3, we felt like the Lightning were the better team. And they just, they weren't rewarded. We'll get into why. But I, it's just a curious conundrum here of uh, probably, at least for me, a game they need to win coming off a game where they were the better team and they didn't win. Right. So who is going to push back tonight? Is it the team that lost and is down in the series 2-1 to or is it the team that knows it probably needs to play a lot better? And we're going to find out tonight. So, first of all, Pat Maroon this morning did say it's a must-win. So, you may not want to say it, but... He did, Big right? Rig did, yes. Uh, 
big ring. I don't know. I don't know. We could probably do a whole show on Game Three. There was a lot to unpack there, and and some of the fireworks that happened on the ice in Game Three continued <laughs> post game, and in the off day with some of the comments that came from from each side. But look, at the end of the day, the Lightning outplayed the Maple Leafs in Game 3 but lost. And maybe we should start there. Why did they lose? I thought they lost for a couple reasons. First of all, Ilya Samsonov gave his team a great performance. He has outperformed Andre Vasilevsky in the last two games in the series. And he had his fingerprints all over that Game 3 win for Toronto. That was one reason. Another reason was that even though they were being outplayed, the Leafs were able to make a couple of plays. The one at the end of the third period was a really key play, certainly, where they were stuck in their own zone with two minutes left trying to pull the goalie. They couldn't get the goalie off the ice. They couldn't even get the puck. They brought it down the ice. They set up, threw a puck to the net, and got a rebound goal. That's a big, big play. So, like, we've talked about this. We talked about this a lot, actually, with Pittsburgh because, I mean, Pittsburgh was a team that won back-to-back cups, but they won those cups in very different ways. 2016, they were a locomotive train, and they just steamrolled everyone on the way to the cup. The second cup was way different. They rope-a-doped their way to that cup with great goaltending and timely scoring, and that's kind of the formula Toronto used in Game 3. So... The Lightning, even though they had a huge advantage in possession, a huge advantage in scoring chances, a huge advantage in shot attempts, and really they did defend well for much of that game, they end up on the losing side of it because Toronto got a rope-a-dope win. <laughs> they got great goaltending and timely scoring. And when you get to overtime, it, it can come down to one shot. There were other elements in that game. The Lightning felt a goal should have been awarded when Braden Point scored in the power play, would have made it 4-2. to two. I'm not saying that that would have been game over. There was still well over a period left. In fact, there was, what, about 24 minutes left in the third. Who knows what might have happened. But the Lightning put themselves in a much more commanding position up two rather than up one going into the third. And in the third period, they had chances to make it 4-2. to two. Ross Colton missed an open net. Puck skipped over his stick blade. Nick Paul had an in-alone chance. Samsonov made the save on him. So the Lightning had opportunities to extend the lead after the Radish goal made it 3-2 and couldn't do it. Some of that was bad luck, puck over a stick blade. Some of that was bad luck with the officiating where the referee blew his whistle in certainly the Lightning's mind too quickly. And so the goal was not allowed to stand, even though the puck was loose and replay showed that it was loose. And... Like I mentioned, Samsonov was a difference maker. So what are we going to see tonight? I guess we can get into that later. I I guess I want to address Greg and just throw it out there. The two signature plays in Game 3 that has gotten everyone riled up, at least everyone got riled up about the Riley hit on point, but also the disallowed goal on, on the quick whistle, which I guess in Toronto's mind it wasn't a quick whistle, it was just a whistle. So... The league has a rule for referees. If the referee loses sight of the puck, even if the puck is loose, he's going to blow his whistle. The play is dead. They have also added a wrinkle to that because it actually takes time for a referee to bring a whistle 
to his lips to blow it. If he physically can't get the whistle to his lips in time but sees that the puck should be dead and then something else happens, as long as he intended to blow the whistle, it was when he intended to blow the whistle, that's actually in the rule book, the play can be dead. That is what happened on the Braden Point goal. Francis Sharon, who was standing kind of in the corner by Stamkos, and that's where he should be. I mean, it's not really a scoring chance. It's a fluke play. Brody tries to shoot it up the middle. It hits point at the side of the net, flutters in the air, and then bounces basically off Samsonov. So Sharon is in the right position at that point, but he's in a tough position to see the puck. And he decided that he was going to blow his whistle as soon as the puck basically landed in Samsonov underneath his pad even though the whistle came after point jabbed the puck in. That that goal was not allowed to stand for that reason. We had a goal earlier in the game, Brandon Hagel's goal, very similar type situation where he takes the shot, it hits Brody, and then basically caroms underneath Samsonov, and the officials said, we blew the whistle so there's no goal, even though the puck was in. But on replay, it showed that it was the original shot Actually, I have the verbiage here from the league on both goals. So on the Hagel goal, video review determined that Brandon Hagel's original shot completely crossed the Toronto line as the culmination of a continuous play where the result was unaffected by the whistle. That was not the case on the point goal because the original shot, which was basically a puck bouncing off point, but it didn't go straight in. So... It was not a continuous play where the result was unaffected by the whistle, quote-unquote. That's the difference between the two goals, and we were wondering at the time, Greg, why is this review taking so long? The puck clearly went in on the Hagel goal. That's why, because there was a whistle that we didn't know at the time. But the whistle was basically overruled by the fact that the puck went straight in. So that was an extremely tough call that went against the Lightning, and it was made even tougher by the fact that the Bruins scored a very similar goal in their game against the Panthers yesterday on a play in which the puck was actually underneath the goalie longer and the whistle seemed to precede the puck going in. But on review, different referees, they decided to let the goal stand. So maybe they felt that, you know, we shouldn't have blown our whistle (laughs) or our whistle had no effect on the play because Marchand, who scored the goal, is basically jabbing it in as the whistle is sounding. So, look, them's the breaks. And and as we often say, one play does not define, you know, a win or a loss in its entirety. There are a lot of other things that happen to bring about a result. But that was a tough one for the Lightning, certainly. The Riley point hit, and I'll, I'll pass the baton to you here in a second. I understand they looked at it on video review and said no penalty on the play on Riley on the hit. He was given a minor penalty for roughing after the fact because there was a scrum. I disagree. (laughs) I respectfully disagree that there should have been no penalty on the play. I do not feel that it rose to the level of a major in a game misconduct, but he did push him. That's boarding. There should have been a two-minute minor for boarding there. People were very worked up about that, that Riley was not given a penalty for boarding. But at the end of the day, you know, the Leafs got a power play out of it, which was kind of a a sour sandwich to to have to eat for the Lightning, but the Lightning killed the penalty off no problem, and they maintained their one-goal lead. So, like, the effect of them not calling the penalty on Morgan Riley 
really didn't have a huge bearing in the game. And the fact that Braden Point, after a scary-looking collision, was able to come back and play was certainly a positive sign. I am still unsure whether Sheldon Keefe actually believes what he said to the media or if he was doing his best impersonation of John Tortorella in 2004 with Shut Your App and making about something other than his team and let his players concentrate on playing the game, which Torts did. Because it's really hard to to hear what Sheldon Keefe had to say unless you're located in Toronto, as I just mentioned, and not call number one you-know-what on it. Everybody in the building thought Morgan Riley was getting a penalty, including the referees. The original call on Morgan Riley was a five-minute major. It was rescinded only after they watched it on video review. Coop's absolutely right. The Lightning thought they were getting a power play. Why would Stamkos and Kucherov want to take themselves off the ice? I do believe Keefe was irked that he didn't have Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly. It was a five-minute penalty on both. But because after five minutes, we didn't have a whistle for like four more minutes. So he was missing those guys for half a period. And then finally we had a whistle and Matthews immediately went out on the ice and the Leafs made a push down the stretch in regulation. I get why Keefe was probably upset about that. But you know what? Maybe his team could have just like gone offside or something. It, all we needed was a whistle. If there was a whistle, the guys could have come out of the box first whistle after they'd served their five minutes. So, again, I think the postgame commentary on the Toronto side really didn't make a lot of sense. But, again, I, I'm, I'm uncertain if he actually felt that way and was, was venting or if he had something else at, at play. But taking his words at face value, they don't make a lot of sense. They don't, and I want to get to something you mentioned at the beginning of the yeah, show. Yeah, I'm sorry. It went I on think... for a while there, but please, no, it's take good. the floor. All, all of that is, is... – no, all of that is fair game, and we're going to hit on all of that with our audience too because we have quite uh, a few tweets coming in at Fultz Radio. I, I didn't think I'd say this, partner, and I think you have to take everything with you know the big picture involved, and it doesn't mean you take one goaltender over the other. I did not think through three games we would be sitting here saying – that Samsonov would have a slight edge over Andre Vasilevsky. And I know how I have talked about Vasi on this show since he's been the starting goaltender for Tampa Bay. I've called him the best goaltender in the game. Maybe that margin has narrowed a little bit more with some of the goaltenders we've discussed over the last year or two and cut that gap a little bit more. But I still think he is the best goaltender in the game today. I think he is a Hall of Famer. I hate to kind of give you those arguments to make my point because it feels like I'm I'm hedging a little bit. But again, take take it for what it is through three games. I think it's fair to point out that the Lightning's edge in goaltending has not been what I thought it was going to be heading into the series. And that is really one of the great X factors. You know, we can talk about Tampa Bay and Toronto, Dave, and how they match up with their forwards and their back end. And we can sit there and say, look, I I actually think maybe the Lightning have a a slight edge on the back end. Maybe you think Toronto has a slight edge at the forward position. Again, I'm just making a hypothetical argument. I don't know. Many people picked Samsonov to be a little bit better than Vasilevsky through three games. And it's not like Samsonov has been great. 
we talked about him in game one. I thought, you know, he showed, I don't want to say his true colors, but it looked like he was nervous. I think he's had issues with rebound control throughout this series. He's made some key saves, particularly in game three. And to his credit, that's what the Leafs needed him to do. But I will say this. Let me just point out. I don't think Vassy through three games in a consistent fashion has been the Vasilevsky we've seen or grown accustomed to not only in the regular season, Dave, but let me be more specific when it comes to the playoffs, because we know how good he is. Does that mean it's not going to turn around starting tonight? No, it, it doesn't. Vassy could be really, really good from here on out. I'm making the observation through three games, the significant advantage the Lightning had coming into this series. It was the goaltender position. Not only has not gone the way we thought, but I think you could make a slight argument, maybe even a bigger argument, that Toronto's goaltending has been a little bit better or maybe a little more consistent. And I don't know what that says for the goaltending period in this series, it hasn't lived up to my expectations, and I think obviously a big reason for that has been I think Vassy has been a, a little bit off, and I wasn't anticipating that heading into this series. I don't know where you come down on it, but I'm curious where our fans come down on this topic at Bolts Radio. Well, I think looking at the series at a whole is, is hard because Samsonov wasn't very good in game one, but neither were the Maple Leafs. So even if Samsonov had been better we would have to question, would Toronto have won that game? And the same was true about the Lightning and Vasilevsky in Game 2. I don't think Vasilevsky was particularly sharp in Game 2, but the Lightning were were bad in front of him as well. So those two games kind of washed out each other. And Coop was actually asked this morning about, you know, in what areas do the Lightning need to get better after Games 2 and 3? And he's like, Game 2? Like he almost he's almost putting games one and two in a separate category. He's like, the series started with game three, a best of five, and it was the first close game in the series. So let's look at game three. I will be consistent about saying this because I've said it multiple times. I said it before the series began. I said it once the series got underway. You would figure if the scoring chance number was level, the Lightning would have an advantage. And for Toronto to have an advantage, they would need to outchance the Lightning. The opposite happened in Game 3. The Lightning outchanced the Maple Leafs, but still lost. And they lost because it's not that Samsonov was perfect. I don't think he himself was happy with the Radish goal, which beat him short side. And Sorelli makes a good shot on the first goal, but, I mean, it is an open look for Samsonov. He's not screened on it. I mean, the puck just beat him. So I'm not saying like you're you're making the point that has he been like the best goalie in the playoffs? I, I don't think that that's the case, even excluding game one. The last two, has he been the best goaltender in the entire playoffs this year? I think the answer is no. I mean, he's given up some goals, but he made a lot of timely saves and key saves and difficult saves in game three that allowed his team to stay close. And that was why he was, in my mind, a big part of their win in game three. You were right, though, that, you know, tonight is a new game. 
And Vasilevsky does have a short memory. Is that right way of putting it? Like, he erases what happened before. He's always done that in his career. And we'll see if he's able to, to bounce back and, and give the Lightning the sort of goaltending that he has done throughout his career, both regular season and playoffs. But you would agree. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I don't think we necessarily thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I, I didn't. And that's fine. I, I think that's no, I agree with you. That's a great advantage, not only physically for the lighting, but mentally, you know, a team goes into that series against Tampa Bay and chief talks about this sometimes, you know, there's a reason why maybe they're trying to be too cute with their shots and they miss just a little bit high or low. It's because they're trying to beat the best goaltender in the game who typically doesn't give you much. Right. And as I said before, too, partner, Samsonov, I don't think has been great. I tell you where he has stood out and it happened in game three. And you mentioned some of the moves or some of the shots. He came up with some really timely saves on high end players. And Kucherov comes to mind, really. You know, when that, in when that happened, what was it the, yeah, the backhand shot, yeah. right? Where he showed some patience coming in. And that was a, that was a vastly like safe. You know that what I'm like safe. You know what I'm thinking of, Greg, and I'm gonna have to yeah. go back and, and try and remember the 2021 Stanley Cup final. Because the lighting had a lot of success on Carey Price in the first three games, and they went up 3-0 in the series. And either they scored a lot of goals, or Price wasn't able to give his team a critical save at a key time. Remember, Coleman scored right at the end of the second period in game two. It was a huge it was the game-winning goal. It was an enormous goal that Price allowed. And after three games, and Price had been their MVP through the playoffs at that point, that was as much a reason as any why Montreal was playing in the Stanley Cup final. And Price is like, I need to be better. And you know what? In games four and five, he was. I believe game four finished 3-2 Montreal in overtime, if I'm remembering right. And only won game five, one nothing. So in the last two games of that series, Carey Price was back to his usual self. And the Lightning have to, and it's not that Vassy has come out and said I haven't I haven't played well enough, but for him to have allowed some of the goals he's allowed, not all of them. I mean, the Matthews goal was a tip in Game Three. That was a tough save for any goalie to make, and I guess the winning goal did get deflected, which we couldn't tell at the time. But Coop said, you know, there isn't a goalie on the planet that's stopping that shot because it got deflected right into the top of the net. Fair enough. But the other two goals, you know, are are plays that Vasilevsky usually stops the Achari shot, which was a a chance, but I mean it was not, you know, like a a slam dunk goal. Like he had a chance to make a save on that and didn't. And it wasn't so much that O'Reilly scored, it was the rebound. The Nylander shot, he wasn't able to cover the rebound. And Ryan O'Reilly got position in front and it scored and I mean that if the Leafs win this series that Ryan O'Reilly goal will probably be the biggest goal that they've scored in the series because if he doesn't score that let's be honest the likelihood is they're down to one in the series so those are the sorts of plays I'm talking about but if we think back to how Carey Price played in the 2021 Stanley Cup final like he got his game together mid-series and was super tough the rest of the way so we'll see if Vasilevsky tightens things up moving forward. Uh, I want to get to, to a, an article I read that was very interesting. And by the way, did you have any comments on the the whistle or the Riley hit on point? Like I kind of went off on that, but 
you hadn't really responded or fans have any questions about no, it. No, you know, that's a penalty. I, it was, yeah. I was curious to hear a lot of people say that, you know, it shouldn't have been a major, but there should have been a penalty. I don't know how you couldn't call that a penalty, Dave, when we talk about the NHL and some instances where, you know, guys can embellish a call and get called for a penalty. And here's a guy physically gets pushed from behind into the boards and brain points a gamer. As we know, he's not faking that injury. He came back and you could tell he was trying to get off the ice on his, on his own power. He couldn't do it. I'm stunned. I am stunned (laughs) that nothing was called. And Dave, again, we talk about the safety of the league and and protecting your players. That's the type of hit you're talking about. I mean, that, that guy, how, how many feet was Braden points away from the boards? I mean, this, you know, loses an edge, hits him from behind, going full speed. How that's not a penalty, I have no idea. Bad call and a bad call on the Braden Point goal. You know, it's just kind of where we are with uh, the NHL and, and sometimes the officiating. I think it's just really inconsistent. And sometimes this is what happens when you get instance inconsistency. It's uh, maybe not on a related note, but maybe it is. Sean McIndoe from The Athletic, Dave, a couple of nights ago, I was reading an article he wrote. And it talked about how instant replay, it's just not intended. The way it's being used is not how I think we all envisioned it being used. And he referenced the, and you talked to me about this, the the game against the Kings and Oilers where there was a perceived maybe high stick on a game with yeah. a goal for the Kings. And he was talking about how, you know, it was they determined went to inconclusive. It. So they, they right. allowed the play to stand, which I liked. And I felt the was, play should have been allowed to stand. Yeah. And you've made this point a lot. And I think it's right. Is that it didn't have any effect on how the play was going to develop. And I think we need to get back to being a little more simple when it comes to these rules and interpreting them, because I think now we're getting caught up in the weeds and we're looking at skate blade and we're looking at millimeters, you know, being off, whether something's off sides or not. And while it's, it's correct in theory, does it really affect the play? And I think we're starting to see more outcry when it comes to this. But it's just something to keep in mind. I think more people are starting to talk about the intent of instant replay, plays that are reviewable, plays that you can challenge, and whether or not it's helping or hurting the game in the long run or even the short run. I'm actually a little unclear why Sharon reviewed the goal. If he felt that he blew his whistle when he blew it, which he didn't blow it until the puck was in the net, but he intended to blow it, before it went in the net. Why is he even looking at a video replay? But he did, and then he actually announced the puck was covered, which it really wasn't, but essentially, because what the league said was, here's the other explanation, by the way. So I read the first one. The second one, the no goal. The referee informed the situation room he blew his whistle to stop play before the puck entered the Toronto net. Well, he didn't. He blew it after it entered the net. But according to Rule 78.5, a parent goal shall be disallowed, quote, when the referee deems the play has been stopped, even if he had not physically had the opportunity to stop play by blowing his whistle. So that is what Francis Sharon told the Situation Room. Maybe they didn't even look at the replay. But it's interesting that the very next day, yesterday, the Bruins had a goal not count, essentially, Live, And then the officials went and looked at it on replay and decided that it did count, which is kind of what happened on the Hagel goal. But we we explained that like they needed confirmation that the original shot went in. 
the goal the Bruins scored was very similar to the one that the Lightning scored and had taken away. And I don't know. I mean, I wonder if there might have been something that those referees in the Boston-Florida game had in mind after watching the Lightning having a goal taken away that, by all rights, should not have been taken away. I mean, it was a quick whistle by Francis Sharon. He's doing his best. Like, the play meant that he was going to be in the corner. He wasn't going to be close to the net. But he had to make a split-second decision, and it looked bad on replay because the puck was put in almost immediately and the puck was loose. So maybe these referees are thinking, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll extend the time a little bit here when we look at it on replay. I don't know. But the example that you're giving is replay is complicated things, like it complicated things in the way that we had a goal allowed yesterday for the Bruins, where it wouldn't have counted had there been no replay. The Morgan Riley penalty, non-penalty, I think the replay is is in effect to determine whether usually it's to determine whether a hit to the head rises to the level of a major. And sometimes it is helpful for referees to look at a replay and determine how flagrant it was. But they also have the the flexibility to rescind a major or take the penalty away entirely. But usually that's when like a guy gets high stick but it's his own stick, right? So it actually wasn't a penalty. I'm very surprised that they rescinded that penalty entirely, but it was because of the replay that they did it. Now, I didn't think it was a major. So from the standpoint that they called it a major when they saw it live, and then you watch the replay, and you're like, he didn't, he didn't like propel point with like intent to injure there. But he nudged him like it was a boarding penalty. He extended his arms on a player who was off balance five, six feet from the boards. That's boarding. But they watched it on replay, and they decided that it wasn't even a minor penalty, which is kind of surprising. So from that standpoint, I guess I'm inclined to agree with you that maybe seeing the replay is complicating things more than it needs to. But it's not going away. Yeah. In any of these sports. It's definitely not going away. I wanted to get to an article I read from Pierre Lebrun with The Athletic. I thought it was a very interesting article and an interesting take after Game 3. He basically said, you know, was Game 3 a defining moment in the series, and if so, for which team? And his point was the Maple Leafs kind of finally won a game that they usually lose, which is to say, you know, they got the goaltending, the timely goaltending, they got the timely scoring, they kind of snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, which in some past playoff years they hadn't really done. And is this a a marker that the team is growing in a way? Like they're learning how to win in the playoffs. And the Lightning have won some games en route to their cups where they've been outplayed and they found ways to win, basically with goaltending and timely scoring. Or is it that the Lightning, who so thoroughly dominated the metrics in that game, have kind of, quote-unquote, figured out a way to make Toronto be uncomfortable? So which is it? Like, which positive aspect of Game 3 is the one that's going to tell us something about what's going to happen next? And while I appreciate the article, I thought it was very interesting and timely based on Game 3, and I enjoyed reading it. I don't think either is necessarily anything we can read into. But I'm consistent, Greg, in saying, I don't know what's going to happen in the next game. 
but I've seen enough hockey to know that if the Toronto Maple Leafs have another game like they had in game three, even if you can say they've grown as a team and the, this, that, and the other thing, they are going to be very hard-pressed to win that game again. <laughs> I mean, they, they got a lot of things going their way. They had the quick whistle on the point goal. They had Colton miss the open net. They got really key, timely saves from their goaltender. There's no guarantee that they're going to get that in every game. They got the timely goal at the end of the game when they had one shot on net through the first almost 15 minutes of the third period. That's just not a formula to win a game. I don't care if it's in the playoffs or in the regular season. They did it in game three, but I'm not sure that that we read anything into that. I think that things aligned for them in a way that they could come back and win. And you put those six guys out on the ice on a six-on-five, they can score. Like the fact that the Leafs scored a six-on-five goal to tie the game is not shocking. They have some really talented players who can make plays. But for them to get dominated in terms of possession and outchance that way, that is not a sustainable formula for them. On the other side of the coin, I don't know that we can read anything moving forward into the fact that the Lightning dominated possession. It might have just been in that game, they were executing, we use that word again, they were executing at an extremely high level. Cooper talked about their emotion and their urgency and their compete. He felt that that was a big part of it. But they did a lot of things really, really well in that game that helped them have a lot of possession. There's no guarantee that that is going to happen tonight. So I kind of read that article, and I don't know if I'm really adding anything to our our listeners' understanding. I'm just giving you my opinion that I'm not sure that we can read into anything that we saw in Game 3 except that it was the first close game. But... Here's the part that I will come back to. While I am not certain that the Lightning will be able to replicate what they did in Game 3 moving forward in the series, we have, you and I both, have seen playoff series involving the Lightning in which the other team has kind of put its foot down and controlled play in the same way throughout a series. We saw it when the Lightning were on the losing side against Pittsburgh in 2016 and Washington in 2018. And we saw it, I think, especially in the bubble as the Lightning were rolling through the 2020 playoffs. They they were the ones kind of laying the hammer down on the other team throughout a series. And they were out shooting teams, you know, 49-22. And the other team couldn't really change the narrative in any significant way. So we're going to come back tomorrow after game four. And if the Lightning play well again and lose, they're going to be in a tough spot, as we just talked about. But if Game 4 looks like Game 3, all right. Then maybe I'm I'm willing to say, you know what, maybe the Lightning have found something here. Where they're starting to press on the Leafs and the Leafs don't have an answer. But not after one game. I wouldn't say that. Not after one game. No. And... I just I'm curious to see how the Lightning will respond tonight after the efforts last game because I think we all would agree they did some good things and you want to know if they are going to be motivated in a very positive way to continue to do what we're doing because Dave we've often talked about what does momentum mean right. in sports I go back to what Jason Collimore has always said 
it's not necessarily momentum from game to game. It's confidence. Right. Maybe there's momentum in the game. And that's where and you want to see them. Seen that. That's where you want to see them carry over the good things that they did in game three. But here's a question, Greg. Which team is going to yeah. have more motivation to push back? Is it the Lightning because they're down in the series? Or is it the Leafs because they're saying, we know we need to play better tonight? Yeah, I, I, and, and that's a good question. Uh, I think, let's face it, we probably we probably know the history a little bit more with Tampa Bay when their backs are against the wall. Again, they're able to, for the most part, especially the last three years, push through it and respond in a very positive way. We've talked about the Leafs and their issues getting out of the first round. Dave, I don't know. I don't know what the Leafs are going to do. So maybe in, in a weird way, even though the Lightning are down two games to one, or with how they are going to respond, than I am with Toronto based off of previous history. And maybe that's unfair, Yeah, but it's one of those things until Toronto does it, you're not necessarily buying it. I mean, you think they can. I mean, you would think that the Lightning or the Leafs would be able to put it together and say, look, we've had some tough losses over the years. Let's put it together. And this is the year that we knock down that door and we don't let the Lightning up. You'd like to think that. I think if you're if you're Toronto, that's what you're hoping. Right. I haven't seen it though. You know, with the Lightning, we've seen over the years a, a pattern of of play where they're able to kind of figure this out. And maybe that's wishful thinking on my my part because history is not a always an indication of how this will play moving forward. I also saw a couple of people, Dave, <laughs> respond in a way. And it's it's more towards the officiating, but basically the way the Leafs are playing. Their take was they're really going over the line to intentionally hurt some of these Lightning players. I don't know if I buy that, but you can certainly tell that there is a a certain style that the Leafs want to play. And if that does involve, you know, doing some things that could be called or could not be called. You know they're they're going to do it because they feel that's the way they need to they need to go about their business. And so whether that was Riley, whether that was Bunting, people feel like they're that's one of the ways that the Leafs are trying to take advantage of of the situation and really hurting uh, the Lightning in some aspects. I disagree with that. I don't think the I, Riley I hit on it. point. There was any intent to injure there. Coop used the word reckless. That's probably the right word. I mean, it was a the fact that he gave him a push. He didn't need to push him, and it caused potentially a bad injury. Now it didn't. Yeah. Point is, point is banged up though. I mean, point is a game time decision. It does look like he's going to no play doubt. based on the fact that out late for the Lightning were AC Mon and Flurry. Chernak is not skating. The bunting play on Chernak, the way the the Leafs tried to couch it was bunting was expecting a battle and didn't get one. He still threw an elbow, but I don't know if he was thinking in the back of his head intent to injure. But I think his recklessness did cause injury, and it was the wrong play at the wrong time, and he has paid for it in the form of a three-game suspension. But, you know, there may be fans who are saying, I'm, I'm – I'm getting it wrong, right? Maybe they feel that that there is intent to injure there. I haven't seen it that way. I think the Lightning have been on the 
the unfortunate end of a couple of, of plays that have taken their players out of games. And for Chernak, he's missed the entire series after, you know, the first period and a half or whatever it was of game one. It did feel like after that hit two points and you saw the fights that ensued, it did felt like that game was going to get out of control. Yeah, I said on the just... air we actually needed a whistle because I felt guys were kind of running at each other more yeah. and they were and they were actually committing penalties that weren't being called. But look, tempers were flaring and the right. Lightning were very concerned about Braden Point. Well, they should. I think everybody was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, but I mean, you use your teammate. You see him I mean, go down like that. Yeah. And for sure, your your tempers. You're going to respond. Flare for sure. Yeah. You see one of the best players in the game go down like that, Dave. You're not even thinking you're going. Right. You know, you're responding, and, and that's what the Lightning – I don't blame them for that. Yeah. But that's what they did. I asked – I saw uh, Brian Bradley. Do you get in some questions here? Go yeah, ahead. but I, let me just tell you, I saw Brian Bradley this morning at the skate, so we were chatting, and I, I just asked him because yeah. I was curious because things had settled down a little bit in terms of point getting off the ice, and then Stamkos fought Matthews, which is, I think, if Keith believed what he said and wasn't trying to, like – kind of say things to help his team basically but he he was fired up and he actually believed what he said and maybe he does I, I'm just saying I don't know but the fact that there was a delay before the fights broke out maybe he's thinking well the lightning wanted to get Matthews off the ice because the fight came later so I asked Brian Bradley like why did why did Stamkos fight Austin Matthews he's like he was just ticked he was ticked off that point took that hit at the time, everyone thought it was going to be a major. It was a dangerous hit. Points injured, and you're tied up. One of your best players is injured, and you're tied up with one of their best players. That's what you're thinking. And Stamp goes, kind of said the same, right? It's like you see one of the best players of the world going down yeah, for sure. and screaming in pain, and your emotion takes over. And look, if if the Leafs didn't want Austin Matthews to have to go to the penalty box. There was no shame in Matthews not dropping his gloves. Right? I mean, that would have been the smart play. Because then the officials would have called at least a minor, if not a major on Stamkos, and nothing on Matthews. We've seen that before. Matthews is certainly within his power not to drop his gloves, right? But he did. Sure. So... That's probably going to invite more more belly aching from Toronto fans. I'm just saying that, like, we have seen high school players, like, somebody wants to fight them, and they're just like, I'm not fighting you. And then he could have stayed on the ice, yeah, right? that's right. Anyway, right. but I think that that, that went into some of what occurred later with Stamkos and Matthews, according to Brian Bradley. That's why I asked his, I asked his opinion. I asked the question. I was curious. It's a good question. That's why we ask him. But we let's have other questions. questions, so let's get to yeah, why not? questions from the fans. Yeah, let's get to uh, some right now. Let's start with Michael. He says, I understand a 6-5 against Toronto is challenging, but the O'Reilly goal can't squeak through. All right, I disagree. I disagree with the O'Reilly shot. I think it was more about the Nylander shot, but sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Ottinger and Dallas came up big to preserve their lead, and we need our guy to do the same. I expect 88 to get stronger as the series goes on starting tonight. 
So the fan is right that the O'Reilly shot did go, quote-unquote, through him, which are not great goals usually for goaltenders. But O'Reilly is right at the top of the crease and snaps it. He was in a prime scoring area to have that puck squeak through. Yeah. And Vassy just made a save. So, I mean, it's not like he's set for the shot yet. To me, it was, it was the first shot that was the, the more problematic of the two. But, I mean, we've talked about, you know, will Vassy revert to his usual form? And we're going to find out tonight, right? Yeah. Al says, my observation on the draw, 77 was along the boards and closest to Riley. 86 was farthest away from Riley. Yet 86 and 77, crisscross giving Riley too much time and space to get the shot off. Simply a bad face-off coverage scheme goal may have been prevented. Well, I'm not sure that many times a shot like that goes in. But look, Kucherov was in front of the shot and was unable to block it. And then if it did nick off somebody, it nicked off point. And so his stick, I think. So maybe if he doesn't even try and touch the puck, Vasilevsky's in a position to make the save. Yeah. But I'm not going to disagree with what the fan said. I, I confess I didn't watch that replay over and over and over again to see it. Long Phil often talks, like though, that, about maybe. like the defensemen yeah. don't wind up for a big slap shot. Just snap it to the net. Sergachev does that a he lot. Does. And that's what yep. Riley did there. It was smart. I don't know if it was tipped. Hard to tell. Yeah. You know, maybe it was more of a screen situation. Maybe it was distracted. I I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe we'll never know, well, to be honest. if it was deflected, it was deflected by a lightning player because Riley got the goal. Correct. Coop did say it was deflected, Correct. and they probably have better angles than, than what we got. Yeah, probably. But, or he talked to the player. <laughs> I mean, he said, boy, yeah. did, did that touch your stick? Basil says, regarding the goal that was taken away, I was streaming the game on Canadian TV. There was a good comment. Someone said, quote, it was a good call, but a bad whistle. Well, that's because letter to the law, if the referee feels that the play should be stopped, either by blowing his whistle or intending to blow his whistle before the puck crosses the line, then it's no goal. I think that's what Basil means. But Sharon should have waited before blowing his whistle. So you can take a goal off, Dave, if there's no whistle, but you intended to blow the whistle? Isn't that the rule I just read? Yeah, I did, I'm just yeah. saying it out loud. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, like... Well, so the reason that rule is in place, where not the whistle part. I mean, I'm going to get to yeah. the whistle part. Sure. If the referee loses sight of the puck... He's going to blow the whistle because what he doesn't want to have happen is attacking players jabbing at the goalie. How many sure. times have we heard Phil say, you go until you hear a whistle? So you don't want a goaltender who's in kind of maybe often a vulnerable position where he's covered the puck, but he's concerned with the puck. <laughs> and maybe he's exposed a little bit in terms of you know players jabbing at him. So it's really... I think the spirit of the rule is to protect the goaltender. Now, sometimes it's a sour pill because the puck is loose. The referee can't see it. So he's, and it, he blows it dead, even though the puck is loose. We've seen that before, going back to that 2017 series in the final Penguins and Predators. You probably remember this well, Greg. That was a 0 0 game late in the third 
And then was it Hornquist? I think our boy Patrick Hornquist scored what turned out to be the winning goal and the Penguins added an empty netter. But earlier in that game, the Predators scored a goal that was not allowed because of a whistle where the official lost sight of the puck even though it was loose. So they're willing to have that trade-off where if the official can't see the puck, they would rather have a whistle with the puck loose then wait and have no whistle and the puck is actually covered and the goalie potentially is getting jabbed at or pushed because the players have a right to keep trying to whack away until they hear a whistle. The part about bringing the whistle physically to the referee's lips and blowing it it goes to the same idea. That once they see that they can't see the puck, play is dead. So... We may not like the rule, but that's the rule. Basil's absolutely right. It was, how did he frame it? It was the the right call, but a bad whistle. Yeah. I get it. I think if I the puck hadn't do. hit point and fluttered up in, in that weird way, like if Sharon is at a different spot on the ice, maybe he does see that the puck is loose. Yeah. I, I mean, that's fair. Will we ever know? I don't. I don't. Yeah. But you're, I mean, it. everything Everything you guys have said makes sense. They didn't it's, make I, look, up a new a lot of rule is... to take the goal away from the lightning. <laughs> sure. But there was a judgment call by the official, and what was interesting was in the Boston-Florida game, that judgment call, the official was a little bit more flexible to say, yeah, actually, that that's a, that's a good goal. Yeah. Uh, Anthony has a couple of comments to make here. Davey said, I'm so fed up with the Leafs fans after three games. I was ready to jump Riley myself after watching that in real time. Why is he after listening to replay, them? By listening, uh, I mean reading, reading posts on yeah. the internet is probably what you we're talking about, right? You get sucked into it. Anthony, he says, after watching the replay. Anthony, take a breath. Step away know. from your phone, your iPad, your computer. Do not even, and when I say engage, I'm not talking about writing back. But do not even read it because you're just going to get yourself worked up. But go ahead. He says, after watching the replay, I guess Point skated into his lane, but he still pushes him from his edges before the puck arrives. He also, Dave, goes on to say, Vassy needs to be more aggressive and trust his instincts. He's on his knees too much. He can't allow both third and fourth goals. I hope forwards will be more patient with the puck around the net. Cooch chance, for example. I guess we're allowed to drive Leaf players into the boards now. <laughs> what did you make of his comments? I, I don't want to get too technical when it comes to goaltending. Uh, the yeah. only observation I can make, well, I feel the fourth like there goal, have been a few goals. The lightning feel, the, the, the line from the lightning about the fourth goal is that that was not on Vasilevsky. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm no goalie expert. But if it was tipped and it went into the top of the net where Vasilevsky was not expecting it to go in the top of the net because it changed directions, fair enough. The, the tying goal, yeah, I mean, we've talked about that. That's a low shot to the far pad by Nylander. He may be shooting, looking for a rebound. I think Brian Engblom mentioned this on the last call. Like, Vasi was trying to glove that. If he gloves it, there's no, there's no goal because it's in his glove. We have a face-off. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I don't I don't like to get too technical 
when it comes to goaltending, just because I, I think there are more people qualified to to get into those intricacies, but it it feels like there have been a couple of more goals that Vassy typically saves of the the harder avenue, more difficult saves that he's made, mm-hmm. uh, that he's allowed. And maybe that's that's because maybe his bar Dave is so high. Yeah. It's probably where this stems from, where you could probably objectively look at the goals that Vassy's given up this series and maybe quibble with a couple. It's just that a few more that have gone in, maybe we're used to him making those saves. <laughs> and he hasn't. And look, I think it's a fair question. Anytime we've talked about the lightning, I think, you know, when we talk about them defending and they have defended better ever since that Columbus series, Dave, they've defended better. There's no denying that. And we can talk about why maybe their defense, if you think it has slipped this year a little bit, is because of guys like Ryan McDonough and Jan Ruta not being on the team. And I, I acknowledge that. But I think there's always a second part to the Lightning defending better and that's Andre Vasilevsky is always there to basically bail them out. Yeah. And I think an interesting question that maybe we're starting to find that answer to this series is that what happens when he doesn't bail them out all the time? Right. Well, you could see a situation where, you know, the, the Leafs are up two games to one. And that's just, you know, kind of where we are. I so mean, it's, I look, it's, Greg, if you're looking for, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you're looking for positives, and this is the other side of the coin about, you know, the Lightning maybe needed more timely saves from Vasilevsky in game three. Games one and two, they were what they were. But if we include game one, we talked about the Lightning needing to defend well. Like you just said, they've defended well since the sweep to Columbus. They have defended well in two of the three games. I mean, they were horrendous in game two but the Leafs were horrendous in game one but the Lightning defended well in game one and they may have defended even better in game three even though they allowed four goals right because the Leafs were a lot better in game three than the Leafs were in game one so the Lightning needed to be better and by defending again it's what you're doing without the puck it's also what you're doing with the puck the Lightning were pretty clean coming out of their own zone they, they cut down on turnovers. They didn't make a lot of, quote-unquote, fancy plays that drive Phil crazy. They were to the red line, dump it in, go to work. And they got a lot of possession as a result of that. They had great success dictating the terms of that game for much of it. It's true. It's darn true. Point expected to be ready tonight. As you mentioned, Dave, a little banged up, but we'll see how it plays out. We will have all of the coverage starting at 6.30 with the pregame skate show. I'll have the network pregame at 7. And you and Phil will have the game called 7.30. Then tomorrow, Bobby Fenton will be on recapping the game. I think that starts at 9. Yes. Make sure you stay tuned for that. And then we'll follow him at noon, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to break it all down. All right, partner. I'll catch you tonight. Catch you tonight. Great work. Great work. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. Listen tonight, and we'll break it down tomorrow a little bit more. I'm Greg Linelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lending Radio.